Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I give interviews with developers, talk about gaming news and reviews, and focus on the interrelationships between gamers. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is the 95th episode in a weekly series called Mega News. Here with me is Tinzian, who you may know from the Death to Fort Dishonor podcast, and is also the manager of The Gray Area. Hi! Last week's episode was a discussion with American McGee, developer and founder of Spicy Horse. Please visit www.genesee.com to add to the forum discussion on that topic and to tell me your story. Today is Wednesday, March 30th, and we are going to have a, a mashup today. We're going to talk about some news with Tinzian. I'm going to tell you about some gray area news and share some of my insights on the cosplay that I've been doing recently for Megacon and PAX. So hang in there and we will start with Tinzian and some news. <laughs> okay. Um, and let's start with news of the week. Uh, some news of the week and the focus of this particular episode are uh, poor game launches or games that are not SimCity and SimCity included that have had horrible game launches. So we're going to do the top five most horrible game launches. Um, and the first one on the list courtesy of Ars Technica, is Half-Life 2, which you may recall a long, long time ago, launched in 2004. And this is one of those games, probably one of the first games, where people complained about the fact that it had to be permanent internet connection for this game as well. Um, there was an offline mode, but uh, people complained about the fact that you had to have a permanent internet connection, uh, even for single-player games, um, for most people. So the other thing that they would say is there's a lot of like graphics uh, that weren't working very well, a lot of bugs in them that caused uh, stuttering, and uh, yeah, so so bumpy start for Half Life Two all the way back in 2004. Did you ever play that at launch, Tenzin? I did. I actually loved the Half Life series and uh, was willing and um, fanboyish enough to fight my way through all of the opening day problems. Do you recall it? <laughs> I do, but um, I think it's kind of uh, the memory is worse than the actuality. It had a lot of drops, but they still managed to have enough forethought to have spares, apparently, uh, you know, down the loading dock or whatever. But they were able to get things at least fairly smooth where you could go in, play an hour. They may have to take the system down, but you actually got to get your teeth in just a little bit get to gnaw on the bone while they're cooking the actual meal. And even though, um, you know, drops would be jarring and disorienting, it kind of gave you an idea as you were playing, hey, I'm going to maybe get this far, I'm looking down the path, here's what I might see, and then you can kind of spend the rest of the time while you're waiting for the servers to come back up, which was 10-15 minutes, what am I going to do next? So it never really dropped you fully out of the game because when you were playing, it brought you in, made you hungry for more, made you think, got you in the mindset, 
and then you just go zooming down, you know, another road until you hit a roadblock for a little bit. I think Valve did add some servers very quickly. I, I believe it was only a day or two before they mm -hmm. added added some servers. Maybe having been surprised by the the uh, <laughs> the popularity of the game, which I believe did win a lot of awards. So oh, it is amazing, and I really wish um, Half Life Three would come out. Yes, I do too. Number two is Final Fantasy XIV. Uh, <laughs> this game it wasn't so much the fact that it, it launched poorly, it was the fact that it wasn't actually finished. I think that was everyone's biggest complaint. Um, they called them critical bugs uh, during the beta, and it actually ended early so that Square Enix could launch the game for no reason at all. It didn't make a lot of sense. The whole point of a beta is to make sure that your game is is working properly, and hopefully you've actually finished it by the time your beta comes out. But in this case, uh, no, they actually released the game uh, not fully finished, and it got a 30 out of 100 on its review. Uh, a quote for this was, the kindest thing that could be said about Final Fantasy MMO is that it has a good intro movie. The movie doesn't take 10 minutes to load, it maintains a constant frame rate, and you don't have to traverse a labyrinth of menu screens to play it. In short, it's everything the game isn't. I got to work on uh, my Japanese with um, some players on there. Um, For groups that were playing with you, like pickup groups? Yeah, well, when, when you were in there, you were in a, a mixed uh, region game, but the vast majority of the people playing were Japanese. And they actually had a translation system where you could type something in in English, hit tab, and it would bring up what it thought was the Japanese kanji. You never knew if it was actually doing the thing. So you'd <laughs> oh, see you know, people writing in this really, really stilted English. It didn't make much sense. You'd have to think about it. But then you realize, wait, those are the Japanese players using the Japanese reverse translation on us. So it was sort of like a bunch of dorks looking at each other going, I want to play game. <laughs> but, you know, that's even being, you know, far clearer than what was actually going on. It was like spatula, corn flour, death fireball. Yeah, I really want to go on that dungeon. Cool. <laughs> so eventually you learn like these combos of just these really dumbass names and words and things and you know that's someone going hey you're pretty cool i'd like to invite you to this heroic dungeon it would do me great honor if you would do that but it comes out just looking like complete derp <laughs> but there was this japanese player that seemed to take a shine to um i played one of the short races i forget what they were called but they're these little doll things um and he played a mage and Apparently, I had saved his bacon at one point, and he he thought it was fun to try and mentor me through the game. He was apparently a beta tester or something, if I translated right. But um, we started grouping up, and using this translation thing was complete and utter junk. So we started actually having um, early Dance Dance Revolution things. If he jumped forward and then right... That meant something. If I jump forward and right, that meant the same thing. <laughs> so we had like this hopscotch thing of we could plan out who is going to do the attack. We're going to do this combo. It's cool. Don't die. Yay. <laughs> Man. And, you know, the game was complete shite. Um, pretty to look at. Pain to get through. But I think it was actually one of the more fun grouping things, aside from maybe, say, Anarchy Online at the time, or um, potentially EverQuest. So it was not a game that was going to last that long. I'm surprised they're still putting out expansions for it, but 
um, for what it was working with someone who was a foreign player and just having some degree of fun with it beyond what the game makers wanted. Yeah, it's pretty good. They have a uh, expansion, I believe, called A Realm Reborn that they're working on right now. And I guess, if I recall, this might have been the first time they went from single-player RPG into multiplayer. So yep. I think they just got a little overconfident. Is, is the I, I, th- I, I think A Realm Reborn is where all the engineers are going to get together, get rip-roaring drunk, throw rum onto the servers, light on fire, and then they're going to go play Warcraft. <laughs> and that leads us to number three, World of Warcraft. <laughs> launch date November 23rd, 2004, and I do recall this launch, actually. Uh, your typical problem, there are many, many more people interested in the game than the servers can handle, and uh, they reached the capacity of, uh, the queues reached thousands, and this is just for the queues. Random disconnects, people trapped in loading screens for hours and hours, Basically, you know, everything that happens when you have a major launch and they don't properly prepare. And uh, this this is the first time that I recall it being that, that kind of a huge, huge problem. Uh, and I don't know if, if Blizzard just didn't expect that the game would have that much interest or they were just being lazy. But this was like the, the granddaddy, the great granddaddy of all the current problems of people not uh, giving us enough servers for launch day. Uh, pretty, you think you'd learn from it, but... What I, what I heard was is that um, they had had so much experience and data gathered from people playing orcs versus humans and, you know, the the regular Warcraft game. Sorry, the orcs versus humans is a completely other thing. Um, playing the regular Warcraft game over, like, land parties and dial-up and this, that, the other thing. They had all that data, and they just never translated it properly over into server speak. And they didn't think that their, the initial property was going to be so big because people were still on the first person perspective and there was some protests over this was, you know, going to cartoonify it all and take the great first person perspective and, um, you know, destroy first person perspective. So it was kind of, oops. Oops. Well, you think, I mean, they would probably learn from that, but number, let's see, five on our list is Diablo 3. Uh, May 15th, 2012. Most of you probably do remember this. Mm -hmm. Error 37, error 73, kicking you back to the launch screen over and over and over. And uh, Blizzard finally released a formal apology saying, quote, despite very aggressive projections, our preparations for the launch of the game did not go far enough. We're continuing to monitor performance globally and will be taking further measures as needed to ensure a positive experience for everyone. So, uh, yeah, same, same deal, same problem. That was just entirely a, a botched uh, job loss experience right there. That There was nothing kind or nice about that one. Well, here's what you mentioned before, one of my first MMOs, Anarchy Online. Woo! June 27th, 2001. Uh, <laughs> let's see. They call the people that used to play this old-timers. That's funny. <laughs> and uh, a quote on this one was, The sooner Funcom closes the lights on the few remaining players in this flaming wreck of a game, the better. Uh, <laughs> and there were a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting and funny reviews of the game when it first came out. Uh, gameplay servers, obviously an, itch- an issue, but one of the things was multiple registration confirmations, which means uh, the credit cards, people basically couldn't pay for the subscriptions, their credit cards are would get billed like a thousand times for the subscription. Yes, and registration keys that came with actual copies weren't being accepted. Uh, all sorts of stuff like that. And, yeah. So it, it just wasn't very good. Even the reviews were being held back. Um, 
it says one of the problems was many magazines had already gone to print, uh, and many websites ignored the request to review the game in its broken state. So basically, it's kind of similar to what we have happening with SimCity at this point, where, you know, websites that are selling the game just say that there's so many problems, we don't recommend that. People that were supposed to be reviewing the game basically just said, I refuse to review this until it's uh, completely completely fixed. This is one of the first times that uh, I think the publishers um, for the magazines and stuff uh, had a case of the cojones and stood up against something. Normally it was the other way that they would just kind of kowtow. Mm. Well, it's actually one of the longest-running MMOs. People still play them. You might even play it. I, I still have my account. I haven't played... Actually, I've got my account. It's not active right now, but uh, PvP aside, and some people love the PvP, I still think it's a beautiful game. I think some of the mechanics are still very nice. It's a great place to explore. Um, I think you and I played for a while during one of the Halloween events and, you know, had some amusement there. It's a place I think of fondly, but I don't go over there much. But I do miss, I still do miss my character and still have aspirations someday of maybe going back and power leveling my character up to max level and then being like, okay, that's good. And then, you know, banish for another year or whatever. I think I might have an actual account for that game, too, but I don't have a subscription, so I'd have to go pay for one. But my, my character still exists somewhere on the servers. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last but not least is the Sega Saturn console, which released on May 11th, 1995. Um, <laughs> <laughs> seems a really long time. E3, uh, it was discussed at E3 and announced that the Saturn uh, was going to be a holiday release in the U.S. And... This is kind of their way to try to, I guess, jump in front of PlayStation before it could really become popular. <laughs> Did that work? No. Um, this was before Dreamcast, right? I think so. Um, well, I don't know. This looks a lot more advanced than Dreamcast did. What to see. Hmm. Um, and so they actually ended up releasing early. Um I guess they hadn't planned to do so, but they released early and they didn't uh, get the hardware to the third-party publishers. So basically what happened is they launched it and it was such a surprise to everyone that uh, and the consumers that they, uh, they didn't sell very much. So uh, it became a problem for them because they were so secretive about the fact that they were going to launch this and it happened so very quickly that um, there was no, the advertising wasn't enough to make people really aware of the fact that it was going to launch. And so PlayStation, launching shortly afterwards, had much better planned and prepared launch and did a lot better. So, and also, of course, PlayStation launched it for, I think, a hundred bucks less than the Saturn came out for, which is, so, uh, that's also something. I am so glad I never went near the Sega Saturn. I used to play the old Sega, um, and and we we have Dreamcast too, but I I don't really like a lot of the the games on there, and I don't really I never really played a lot of the Saturn. The PlayStation kind of just trumped them so fast and so hard that I don't think a lot of people ended up playing it. So mm-hmm. yeah, Sega kind of, other than Sonic, Sega's kind of. Uh, well, they had some of the um, they're not the Final Fantasies, but they had that uh, Fantasy Star and the Shinobi stuff. I have. I have Shinobi and Fantasy Star, and I have to say, as much as I would like to laud Fantasy Star as one of the first MMOs and, you know, the precursor to the Final Fantasy series, it, it's not all that. <laughs> I don't know. I kind of lost interest after a little while. Okay. Um, some of the things that people are mentioning, uh, Star Wars Galaxies, uh, NGE, uh, it's actually a patch 
that's announced for the game's re-release. It was supposed to make the game a little bit simpler. Uh, it changed it from a skill-based game into like more of a streamlined game, uh, more like a first-person shooter because people complained about Star Wars Galaxies seeing being so very difficult. Um, but it was so incomplete that uh, 275,000 of the 300 subscribers actually left the game weeks after that patch hit the market. I was one of them. Were you really? Yeah. They basically took all my character effort and everything I did, uh, threw it in the um, toilet, flushed it, and uh, proceeded to make me go into the sewers to try and find it. Uh, this is the one where it took forever to become a Jedi, and it was a really, really great accomplishment, and you had to work so hard. Yes. And then they made it basically so that newbies could become Jedis. Like, hey, know, look, really, it's really on soon. my, it's in my login screen, my character select screen. Really? Oh, okay. Right. It's like taking mm-hmm. all your purple loot in any other game and just making it like a startable uh, equipment. Mm-hmm. So not not very uh, popular for the general public. <laughs> and Gothic Three and Ultima Nine have been mentioned as well. Uh, which didn't actually recover from their poor launches. And Conan Online also been mentioned as an also awful launch. And all of these are kind of being discussed because of SimCity, which has had a really difficult time. EA has been just taken through the fire, I guess, in the last week. Um, much of which because similar problems as to Blizzard, they did not equip uh, enough servers uh, to be able to handle the amount of people suddenly <laughs> suddenly logging in. And you have the traditional spinning uh, circle of we're waiting for your, for a server to be available that never mm-hmm. actually comes. And a lot of times that don't seem to be accurate, like 30-minute wait, which we have to wait two hours for, things about that. Yep. Uh, apparently, though, in the last few days, I guess this Saturday, in the official blog, Bradshaw had said that server response time has been included 40-fold since the launch, which... That's good, um, but not good enough. Mm-hmm. And 12 new servers have been added, all of that. But one of the things, too, is that a lot of people are complaining about it and saying that, you know, that they, they've been waiting this, for this game so long, they can't even get in, they're getting kicked out, they want a refund. And there was some sort of a hoopla where one of the EA uh, community managers said that uh, you can get a refund, and that's fine, and then people applied for this refund, and they were told basically through the uh, help chat system that if they did cancel their credit card information because they couldn't get that refund, they would be uh, kicked out of uh, Origin and not allowed to to be a member of Origin any longer. So people were basically saying, like, if they decided, if they couldn't get a refund through the usual system, they were going to just cancel their credit card payment and, uh, and get their own refund that way. And then Origin, they're saying that they would kick them out of Origin and they would not have an account any longer through AA. Yeah, I don't think that would have lasted too long. No, they have since rescinded that, and uh, they don't give money back on downloadable games, and that's what they've basically announced and said, that they 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 can have other ways to make it up to you, which are like giving you coupons for other games and things of that nature. Uh, so people are kind of stuck, because on one hand, they can't get a refund. On the other hand, if they you know try to cancel their payments, they are at risk of being banned. So at this point, there's not a, a definitive like way to, to try to make that happen. But re- in reality, I mean, if you just wait a week, it's going to work. I mean, they're adding servers constantly. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I mean, EA has lost people's trust, and it's become the most hated company since Ubisoft, is what people are saying. Yep. <laughs> um, and, yeah, 
DRM has gotten a bad rap because of this. But when you create a game that functions only uh, on servers and does not allow offline mode, you are at the mercy of those servers being available. And at some point, the servers will be turned off, and then your game will be useless. <laughs> you know, <laughs> three years down the road, when they decide they don't want to have SimCity anymore, and they turn the servers off, your game will no longer exist. Well, that's why I like Steam, because <clears throat> they can flip a switch, and they'll it'll trigger so that it'll just activate on your uh, PC. Yes, that is why Steam is good. But. Mm -hmm. But I don't know. Do you think this is actually going to stop people from purchasing games from EA in the future? I can't imagine that it's going to. I mean, we've had Mass Effect 3 and that debacle uh, with the the ending of Mass Effect 3, and now we've got, you know, SimCity. EA has done many, many things, basically just saying, like, we continue to, to take your money, and you're just going to shut up and do it. And I, I, have, I, ha I go in and look, even if I'm not in the mood to buy something, I will go in at least once a week and look on Steam and see what they're they're selling or what's up with Steam. I don't think in nearly a year since we stopped playing Mass Effect, um, I've gone in and looked or updated Origin. I have no desire for that platform. I want my stuff on Steam. So SimCity might be interesting to me, um, and I think Thorne wants to try to get some multiplayer with it going, but I'm just... It's EA. It's Origin. Just give me the game. Leave me alone. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I actually think this is going to cause a huge rise up in people. The more uh, gamers I talk to are kind of actually getting to the point where they're considering just never ever purchasing a title from EA again, banning the entire company, and, and we'll see if that holds. The more awesome games they come out with, the more difficult it's going to be to resist that, of course. Um, but I, I would expect to see a movement very much like Hold the Line uh, did for Mass Effect 3. I would expect to see something. I know at Hold the Line right now there is some sort of a contract, a gamer contract, that they're coming up with where they say, you know, that this is unacceptable and ways to try to try to prevent this from becoming standard in the gaming industry. It's going to be holdtheparkingspace.com. <laughs> I do not know. It's going to be hold your money. But in honor of SimCity, I think we should read some of our favorite Amazon reviews of the game SimCity. And these came out probably day one or two, so they may not be applicable quite now that they've added servers. But uh, I'm going to let you go first. And, and we're gonna, I want to do this a la Man Without a Body. Uh, who does a lot of YouTube like videos you may have seen, um, Legolas and Laura. He, he reads people's very poorly written English uh, fanfic and reviews, and he does it in a way that's very funny um, and amusing. And, uh, and it's entertaining. So I think we'll, we'll hear some of these reviews, and I'll let you go first, Tianjin, and you may read them in any way you care to. So SimCity Review number one. From Plantos 500. Not 501, not 409, not 101, but 500. Half of a grand plantos. <laughs> we have SimCity. Now, listen, EA. You know where this is going. You know what has happened. You know what you did. We all know what you did. And I paraphrase. EA, you killed my father. Prepare to die. No, that's not what it's I paraphrased. You killed a little boy, metaphorically, of course. I'm sure none of your products have or ever will cause actual death. Unless it's a suicide induced by trying to deal with your customer support online or by phone. Dot, dot. 
dot. And guess what? I'd love you to experience the non-stop thrills and excitement of SimCity. Then please remove $60 from your bank account and promptly pay someone to kick you repeatedly in the friggin' mouth. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Alright, I would like to read one by Carl Baz. And it says, This review is from SimCity Standard Edition Download. And Carl says, Wonderful game. So you stare at this window, right? And then you watch a timer tick. You're nonchalant about it at first. Get a bit excited at 20 minutes, more excited at 10. At 5 minutes, your heart races, and then tick-tock, tick-tock, the second wind down, 4, 3, 2, 1, bam. Your server is still experiencing very high volumes, quote, unquote. Like Russian roulette, slot machines, and slicing your wrists all in one, highly recommended. Although I'm not sure they should call it SimCity, since, you know, it's just a timer. Also expensive for a timer, but hey, anything EI pumps out, I buy. I think here we're gonna gonna impersonate Caesar for a little while. Oh no. If you don't know who that one is, go listen to D4. Get off your ass. This one, don't know who the hell it's from. Guess what? Don't care. You think I'd be mega unhappy, like everyone else, the the constant waiting and lack of actually being able to play a game I purchased. Well, you'd be wrong, damn it. The hours upon hours since launch, since I've been able to log in, whether it's it be sitting in queues, or server busy messages, or plain old just not working screens. I've managed to do a heap of things I never do when I'm locked in my man cave playing video games. I've washed the dishes, the laundry, changed the oil in the car, mopped the floors, dusted, did a spot of gardening, greeted my children who I hadn't really seen since Christmas, walked a dog, asked my wife's day, asked how my wife's day has been, and listened to the entire response. Letting it sink in. Letting it sink in. Restock the groceries and many more things. My family has never been happier that they've got a father and husband again. In fact, I feel like SimCity has given me a new lease on life. This wouldn't have been possible without my seemingly crazy decision to have a constant online connection and server-side save points for a single player. So, I can only thank EA and Maxis. Your failure has been my reward. Five stars! And we have... Sex and the SimCity by Mark McKinney. I am amazed at the ease in which I was able to get my husband back. It was not long ago that I could caress my silky negligee against my skin and hear the all-too-condemning, Honey, I'm in the middle of the game. Can you get me a beer? Well, not anymore. I bought SimCity for him on one condition. He can't play any game other than SimCity. I figured he would get bored with just one and come back to me, but alas, thanks to EA, none of that has happened. It is much better. He can't even play the game, not multiplayer or single player. It is so nice. I see the queue go to 20 minutes, and I know I own him for a while. I've been getting the chores done, he plays with the kids, and I am getting as much sex as I can handle. The beauty of it is when the queue is up, he tries to play, and the game boots him out. Yes, another 20 minutes. Thanks, EA, from a sore housewife who appreciates all your failures. Well, that's a nice sample. <laughs> there it is. Okay, anything else you think we should talk about? Uh, no, any gaming you've done this week? Mm, actually, the only gaming I've done this week is Borderlands. I'm trying to prepare for Megacon, which is coming up in, well, two days. And uh, trying to make sure that I really have Lilith down, because I'm cosplaying her for Megacon in Florida, in Orlando. And 
we did record a podcast just yesterday, which probably will be coming out later in this podcast, uh, from I Remembered It Better. And um, I'm going to be recording one tomorrow with Hold the Line for a documentary they're doing on gaming and the industry. So doing a lot of other people's podcasts. But not how are you, how are you liking the console play? Because um, you're originally a little uh, standoffish on Borderlands for the console, but you seem to be getting into it quite nicely. Yeah, it's an unfamiliar control scheme for sure. Um, I have a lot of trouble... I don't have trouble shooting things in Borderlands. I don't have trouble um, zooming in or using like my uh, my power, my siren powers necessarily. But I do have a lot of trouble going into my inventory and um, and putting points into my skill trees. So it, hitting the start button, hitting the other button that looks like the start button, and kind of scrolling, you know, uh, with the back buttons it is not familiar to me, having really only played the PS3 uh, and the PC. So I- I'm I'm getting better. I feel like uh, I'm still much more accurate um, headshot and shooter with PC, but uh, I'm not hating it. I um, feel like I'm doing pretty well, and uh, um, I can only play certain games like that, like first-person shooters, for about an hour, an hour and a half, and then I begin to get a little bit um, motion sick. So I can only play it in short bursts, but i uh, really enjoying it so far. I really liked um, uh, Dead Space 3. Uh, the demo that I played on it, and I think there's one or two other games I play on the Xbox, but no, I consider myself a console gamer now, too. Good. Yes. So what are you playing other than World of Warcraft, uh, rushing into the new areas available? Uh, for right now, it's only been um, World of Warcraft. Things have been very hectic in real life, so I've been sort of immersing myself for um, some of my geeking, and, and wow, uh, discovered a thing called Open Raid. Um, openraid.us and it's satisfying my need for um, being able to get into some of the older content things that I haven't been able to do and get some achievements and titles and mounts but uh, you sign up and they start up a cross server raid for different places and doing so I'm now up over um, 11,500 uh, achievement points, got some titles, got a bunch of heroic kills, and so forth. And um, it's been a very nice distraction from um, this kind of sour things in real life. Nice. I really would like to play uh, the new Tomb Raider, which I hear is excellent, and a lot of good reviews for that. I know uh, StarCraft II Heart of the Swarm just came out, and the new God of War has been released as well uh, yesterday, I believe. So I haven't heard much about those. Uh, I'd be really interested to hear how thing how you like um, the new Tomb Raider because some people were complaining because apparently this happens before Laura Croft becomes yeah, um, she's young Uber, this one. Mm-hmm. and they redesigned her. But people are bitching about her personality or how weak she is at first. But I'd like to see how she grows into being um, Laura Croft in terms of this penultimate adventurers and uh, so forth. So I, th- I think in the end, I'd like to, down the line, um, revisit that video game. I hear people uh, saying that they like some of the more classic aspects of this game. And I used to play the old Lara Croft where it was more about the puzzles and kind of sneaking and, and doing like stealthy, you know, ranged shots on things rather than um, some of the more recent stuff. And I, I liked the old school Lara Croft Mm-hmm. You know, and th- this apparently has some of those characteristics where there is a lot more stealth involved, a lot more, um, you know, accurate, accurate, uh, long distance shots and things of that nature. 
I do think I expect her to be a little more vulnerable and a little more uh, naive as a young, you know, adventurer. I do expect, of course, by the end that she'll have gained some experience and kind of... People are saying that this was an amazing game to play. They loved it. Uh, but they would never want to play it again. Like, like they hope she never experiences that again. So it must mm-hmm. be a pretty uh, intense story and uh, a good, I guess, preview into her life. But I love the character Lara Croft, so I would like to, to see the origin. Excellent. Good. Well, uh, thanks for being on the show again, Thank as you. usual. And fun time. You can talk to Tinzian at Tinzian. And if you want to reach him, you can also at Death Before Dishonored because uh, he's pretty active on that, too. Yes, I am. Yes, you are. Now we're going to hear a snippet of an interview we did with the I Remembered It Better podcast with Cliff and Ryan, who were kind enough to host us to talk about a lot of role-playing things, and they call it firsties, first time doing various things. Uh, It was really nice to be on the show, and a thank you to them, to Cliff and Ryan, and you can find them at irememberedbetter.blogspot.com. You, na- you may know Cliff as Revan Geek or Ryan as Rawgood98 on Twitter. For episode 12 of Video Game BOGO, a new segment and special guest... Gentlemen, let's broaden our minds. This is I Remembered It Better, a podcast experiment in geek nostalgia. <laughs> We're on a mission from God. This is my boomstick. Kiss my commerce. This was extraordinarily bad. I got a bad feeling about this. Now, here are your hosts, Cliff Haddix, Ryan Allgood, and Brian Kidd. It's episode 12 of I Remembered It Better, the show that takes a look back and asks, was it as good as we thought it was? Coming to you from Dayton, Ohio, where I'm all out of roses, I'm Cliff Haddix, also known as Revan Geek, and I'm joined in tonight's analytical look back by, from Georgia, head janitor at the JLA Watchtower, Ryan Allgood. Yeah, that's right, because Superman doesn't clean his own toilet. Well, let's get serious. No. Oh, no. I don't even want to think about what that would be like. Uh, I mean, it'd be... I, I mean, I think it's got to be some sort of kryptonite alloy toilet. Um, I mean... Otherwise, I mean, he's just... It, I, he's, I mean, he's probably just destroying every other one he uses. I was about to say, some people destroy a bathroom, but that would really destroy a well, bathroom. yeah, I mean, you figure you got super strength and super speed. I'm going to go ahead and add <laughs> no, super no, colon. No, no. <laughs> um... And I don't know. I feel like I feel like as head janitor at the JLA Watchtower, there's there is kind of a uh, paradise loss, like uh, uh, serve in heaven versus reigning in hell kind of thing going on there. But I can't uh, quite sort that yeah. out. Um, yeah, yeah, but yeah. Everyone's got to work, man. Everyone's got to work. Well, Brian could not join us this week. He's got some got some family stuff going on. So we have got something special for you tonight. We have some special guests that will be joining us later in the show for a brand new segment. And it is Tinzian and Genesee from the Death D4 Dishonor podcast. That's part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. And also Genesee, part of the Gray Area podcast. They're going to be joining us to talk about 
something in our new segment, Firsties. So be sure to join us there. Um, yes, I know another show uses the term <laughs> Firsties, but we're going to do it too. We're Secondies um, to use it. We're Secondies to Firsties. I got to yes. say, I'm, I'm excited about our guests because um, I've, I've listened to the, the D4 uh, podcast and it's it's actually what got me really kind of jonesing for some D and D again and um, start up our game. Yeah, so I'm I'm excited about having them today with us. Well, hey kids, you're here on exciting night. We've got a brand new feature to the show. We're calling it Firsties. Examples of times that you first encountered something geeky that you love and hold dear to your heart and try and remember what it was about it that captured your imagination right from the get go and. We had kind of a sad anniversary last week. Uh, it was the five-year anniversary of the passing of Gary Gygax, the the Godfather, the man, the man who brought us Dungeons and Dragons. So we thought that on this night that Brian couldn't be here, we wanted to bring some folks in to talk about first experiences with Dungeons and Dragons, and we got some specialists. Some spec ops, if you will, <laughs> from from the Signals Media All-Star Network. Some folks that cover this every week. Kinzian and Genesee are here with us on I Remembered It Better. Guys, thank you so much for coming and joining us tonight. I'm still looking around for the experts. I'll <laughs> <laughs> be here in a few minutes. It is four people by three topics long. I see a chest in the center and go, wow, how the hell did I get here? That's because because it took us two weeks to cross a field once. (laughs) (laughs) And anyone who's played a Dungeons and Dragons game knows that happens sometimes. Mm -hmm. That does happen sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you you could say, where are the experts? But the truth is, in the world of podcasting, if you do a show about it, you at least love it. You've got to love it to your core to talk about Mm -hmm. it. People ask me time and again, if I want to do a podcast, what do I do? I said, first, you got to figure out what you love. Because if you do a podcast just because you think it will be popular and you don't love it, you will hate it. So, you will hate doing it week after week after week. The same reason we talk about this stuff every week, you guys do your show because you love it, right? So, Cliff, are you saying that we're the hipster of uh, D&D podcasts, though? <laughs> Like our first game. You, you were you were doing it before everybody else was doing it. Yes, yes. You're, you're so hipster. You're still play, still playing Advanced Dungeons and Dragons. <laughs> That's how hipster you are. But yes, we wanted to uh, first of all tell tell folks a little bit about the Death D4 Dishonor uh, podcast for those who may not have heard it yet. Uh, basically, it started out our first campaign. Uh, we had four or five friends that decided to get together, and the very first campaign they had never played Dungeons and Dragons, and it was I think my second time ever playing. And uh, Tinsian's very experienced in Dungeons and Dragons, and we said, okay, what happens if you throw four or five basically World of Warcraft players together and try <laughs> to teach them how to role play? And, uh, and see how that goes. So we ended up going through, uh, Keep on the Shadowfell, I think was our first campaign. Mm-hmm. And then this is our second season. We have mostly, I think, entirely new cast at this point, except for myself and Tintian. And, uh, these are a little bit more experienced players. And, uh, we're friends, we're friends. And it's just fun to see how you can play a D&D game when you have basically an international cast because one of our members lives in Australia, the other members live, you know, in the middle of the country and uh syncing everybody up to play to play over Skype. When do you what time of day do you record usually to get all those people? 10:30 oh. Eastern on Friday. Uh okay. we, we actually stream okay. it on Twitch. Okay. And one of the, cool. the cool. fun parts about our podcast is I make it up on the fly, the story mm. and uh things yeah. that go on and then based on the reactions of um, the other cast members or their input ahead of time, um, it sort of follows things along. So even though we're saying that we're under, uh, 
um, Thunder Spire Labyrinth model right now. We're so far off that module, <laughs> it's just <laughs> it's off in its own little thing. That's a, that's a sign of a very seasoned DM that's okay when things go off the map because oh, yeah. there's some some DMs are not comfortable with that and do and do everything short of a tidal wave washes <laughs> you back into the dungeon uh, to, to get you back on the story. We are so house rules that uh, we make house rules hurt. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and uh, Jesse, I also want to give your other show a plug, uh, the Gray Area Podcast. I mean, both of the, these shows are in their nineties. You're about to do the hundredth of. Of Death D4, yes, right? Yes, yes. I think Gray Area oh is 99 gosh. almost, too. Oh, my gosh. Wow. Oh, my gosh. Well, tell us about the Gray Area Podcast. Uh, on the Gray Area Podcast, I interview people in the gaming industry, a lot of developers, um, various people that make games, sometimes a little bit off the wall. I've had an electrical engineer. I've had a DJ who hosts PAX parties, different people <laughs> in the industry, and just basically talk to them about what inspires them uh, to make the games and kind of what's... It's a little bit uh, inside the actor's studio with uh, developers mm. and people in the game industry. So, just do you ask them what is your favorite word? <laughs> I don't ask them what their favorite word is. No, <laughs> no. I did ask. I had American McGee on uh, last week, and I did ask him if he got flack for being called American in China. Mm. Things like that. Okay. Genesee does cool. have a James Lipton uh, cosplay outfit, though. <laughs> yep, yep. I have cards. I do. You know, the, the big stack, the big stack, and the beard, nicely, nicely manufactured. And do you point out old actors in the, in the, uh, in the crowd, just at random, that type of thing, too? <laughs> yes. I've watched that show way too many times. At Pace University, <laughs> this is how we do it. Yes, yes. All right, well, let's get into this. Let's get into to first-time experiences with Dungeons and & Dragons. And as geeky as we are at this table, some of us, the first time it fi- I find out was not so long ago. And I I, hmm. I was first here at Tinsy and shared with me that Genesee was kind of new to the game, but I was shocked to find out that someone else at the table on this show was new to newer to the game than I thought they were. But let's just go around the table with first... How long have you played this game, Tinzian? I'm somewhere over 25 years. Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. All right. And Genesee? I want to say I'm getting to two years. Mm. Okay. And I would be, if I'm counting all the years up, I'm getting close to 30. I'm getting close to 30 that I've played off and on. And Ryan? Uh, off and on, I think I'm approaching seven years. Yeah. yeah. I thought you'd played longer than that. You were, that was, well, I was shocked today when you said that. And I, I got to thinking about it and, cause I was actually trying to do the math. I was trying to figure out like, uh, you know, cause as we were talking about it, it just didn't, it seemed like it should have been longer. Um, and that's how long I've been, I've been playing, you know, the D and D title. Um, I've been, I've been playing role, role playing games in general a little bit longer than that, but not much. Um, and, uh, so I, I came up with the fact that I, I had experienced D&D in other ways, I think, leading up to that. Um, I played uh, the Baldur's Gate PC game when it came out, and for many, many years afterwards, back in, in 98. Yeah. And, you know, and still have it to this day. Tried tried to run it not too long ago on my computer, but it's just... Um, and the computer said no. Yeah, the computer's <laughs> like, no, sorry. Pick something from this decade. But, um, I mean, it's just a, just a great game, you know, and it's... It, and it, it was kind of an intro into D and D for me, but um yeah, didn't really didn't really get started playing D and D until until semi recently, so Okay. Okay. Well what were your all's first exposures then? 
then? What was the, what was the first time that you played? What was like, do you remember vivid things from it or just what got you to play it that first time? Um, I was about 15 at Boy Scout camp for a week and, uh, we were out at a campsite and pouring, pouring rain. And our assistant uh, scoutmaster was this kind of younger guy. Um, he he's the one that always had the metal music and stuff like that. But it was pretty cool. And we're all sitting around a cavern and kind of bored. And he goes out to his truck, comes back in, and he's got the red box of Dungeons mm. and Dragons. Plops it down and proceeds to start teaching us how to play D and D. And of course. Board kids in a cabin. This thing is immediately sparking the imagination. It basically turns into a LARP fest for the rest of the week after <laughs> this initial thing. We had merit badges that we got completed that we probably don't know the actual source material for because we had all reinvented. Um, you know, we did the requirements, but all pretty much reinvented it. This is one giant quest. And it, it's just to this day, this one act of, Hey, we're all kind of bored. He's got something. Wow. It just, it was like wildfire. Genesee. I had been a year or two out of magic. Um, and I missed it a lot. And when I got together with Tinsian, he, he was kind of a diehard player of Dungeons Dragons. And I forget how we got on the subject, but. Uh, I realized, you know, <laughs> my geek cred is very low in this area, <laughs> and I should really play this game. So I think I actually got that book, uh, the, something about the Girl's Guide to Dungeons and Dragons. I yes. Think I, read, I think I read that book. Um, and his roommate at the time ended up sitting in, and we played a game together, uh, just us two, and he was dungeon mastering. So we did, you know, I guess a short campaign together, and, and then... Uh, I was into podcasting from the gray area, so I ended up uh, saying, well, we should do a podcast about this and then learn about it, and everyone else can watch us learn about it. And we thought awesome. it was going to be sort awesome. of like the Will Wheaton, hey, it lasts six episodes, that was cool, what do we do next? <laughs> 100 <laughs> coming up next week. Now you're at 100, well, that's, that's what you get for deciding to do something cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, for me, um, I was 10, and... One of the older boys at church, uh, was always bringing his Dungeons and Dragons books to church and he and the other older boys, you know, were, were discussing the game and, you know, anything that a teenager does in church and when you're a 10 year old, they're rock stars. So you want to <laughs> be a part of it. And he was going to have to babysit me and my brother and my sister. And I asked him, would, would you bring your books? Could we play? Can we play that game you're always talking about? And he brought them, and he was very patient, and he rolled up characters for all of us, and it took like an hour, you know, because we're little kids, and we don't know how to do it, and he has to instruct us. And, uh yeah, and played a, a short little maybe one-hour game, and just was like, it, it totally captured my imagination. I saved up my allowances till I could buy the red box, and bought the red box, and just, yeah. I mean, and, and the thing was... That first episode, that first game could have ruined me on the game because we had one fight and then we walked into another room where he's like, there is a table and some golden goblets upon it. What do you do? <laughs> I look at my brother. I'm like, are they valuable? He says, they look valuable. I picked them up. He says, they're cursed. You will guard them for the rest of your days. <laughs> the game is over. And then we're like, what? <laughs> and and, and I, I imagine now looking back on it, it was probably Wayne's way of saying, your parents going to be home soon. Let's wrap this game up. <laughs> but 
I'll tell you this, to this day, when I'm playing, I look at everything suspicious when I walk into a room. Oh, <laughs> I don't just pick anything up ever since. I'm envious <laughs> of you, though. You, you said you went out and you bought only the, you know, the, the red box edition. I went yeah. out and I wound up with something over like 400 RPG books in my basement. Oh, Lord. Wow. You see the basement. wow. Well, I, I was 10. <laughs> I was 10. I was 10. So, you know, I, I was not going to be able to afford that much. I mean, and I bought more books over the years. I certainly have, you know, I, I bought the Advanced Dungeons and Dragons, the, the, I have the 3.0 and a lot of other things and a lot of extra source books since then. But, uh, yeah, that red box with the, with the uh, dice that they included the wax that you could fill the numbers in. You know, that, that I, I remember sitting there and making my dice and being so proud that I had those bizarre dice that I thought were so magical and <laughs> having them in my hands like, I have arrived. Gen- Genesee got to see a hundred-sided die a couple weeks ago for the first time. Oh, those are wonky. <laughs> and you have got to have a level table. <laughs> Ryan? Uh, yeah, so like I said, I, I came into D&D probably about, um, uh, you know, six or seven years ago, and before that had been playing, you know, other, other RPGs, um, with a, with a group of guys that I had gone to high school with, and then, you know, we all graduated, and through various sets of circumstances ended up, um, uh, in the same town, and for the most part working, uh, together, and, you know, um, and I found out all throughout high school and, and, you know, much of their childhood, they had been playing, you know, role playing games and D and D and stuff like that. And, um, I had never known it, uh, because, you know, it was, it was, it was just a set of circumstances, whether it was the time or, or where we grew up that it was, um, D and D and, and, you know, associated games were, were still, um, were still very evil, you know, care of things like, uh, Tom Hanks's mazes and monsters movie, um, and I guess the the book that that came before that, which basically tells uh, an an inaccurate story of um, of uh, you know the the evils that can come from from D and D and that sort of thing. So, um, with all of that and, and you know going on or having having happen and stuff, um, I was uh, I guess uh, I was I was encouraged to kind of stay away from that stuff. And so, you know, late, later on grew up and, and ran into these guys again and found out that they were, um, you know, they, they were hanging out and they were, they were getting together once a week on Saturday nights and they were playing various, uh, whether it was tabletop 40k, um, you know, or, or inquisitor or, um, uh, trying to think else, what else was going on. Uh, a lot of vampire, uh, was being played and, uh, eventually, you know, just kind of, kind of moved into D and D, uh, through one rotation and, um, and it was it was fun. It was great. Um, I mean, as a kid, I was always really into really into fantasy or the high fantasy genre. I remember I had like one Dragonlance book that I just coveted, and um, and just kind of you know read it, read it several times. And uh, but uh, you know was always kind of in- encouraged away from from that particular genre. So um, you know didn't didn't have a lot of exposure to it until recently. And uh, you know now it's yeah there's there's all manner of books and there's um, uh, in fact, Cliff and I, uh, get together, um, about once a week, uh, mm-hmm. with, with the wives and, and, uh, play, play our own game, um, through, uh, what is that? Roll20? Roll20.net. Roll20.net, yeah. which is a really, really cool little website for, for doing something like that. But, um, and it's, it's cool. It's a lot of fun. And, uh, 
earlier, I mean, at, at, at a t- there was a time where it was about, you know, it was about, um, you know, magic and elves and this and that. And now more than anything, it's just, it's, let's get together and tell a story and let's do some storytelling. And, um, you know, and the subject matter is still fun. I, I still love it. And, uh, I also, but I also like the interaction. I like the fact that, um, you can get a story going and everybody's involved and everybody's a part of that story and, and telling their part of that story. So it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. Genesee, what first caught you that made you say, Oh, I'm going to be playing this for a while? Hmm. Well, I've been a real diehard, uh, reader for, you know, since I was younger and a lot of fantasy books, a lot of sci-fi books. So, uh, like Ryan was saying, I really enjoy a good story. And the thing that was holding me back, I think from the game, uh, which I have stories about for later, but, I felt like it was going to be a lot more complicated than it ended up being. And that might be just because I ended up playing 4E. Um, but, and also because I think Teensine is very house rules and was extremely patient with us when we first, uh, started Death for Dishonor and kind of baby, baby talked us through some of that. So, uh, I think the thing that I really liked about it was we got to know each other a lot just sitting around and, and playing this game and it was fun and we, we laughed and we were ridiculous and there was a lot of silliness it wasn't quite as i am a wizard and i will take out my staff and we will do this and this and this and then we you know i i just imagined it maybe like more like serious <laughs> very serious and I, i'm still some games are like that but uh the people i end up being with i guess for the games i play are are very funny and uh there's just a lot of like side joking and and it's a fun time uh, to be with everybody. So I think it's it's the fact that there's a, a good story. Uh, it kind of is a group collective effort where everybody's putting in a piece of it and you really don't know where it's going to go. It's not like something you read where you could predict, you know, 20 pages down the road. This is possible because you just never know what your friends are going to come up with. <laughs> uh, so I like that aspect. And I just like the, I guess, the social aspect of it, too. Tenzian, how about you? I like the social aspect of it, but it also um, was a good source for my creativity. Uh, I was not quite so much the uh, go out and climb a tree sort of kid. I would <laughs> ride my bike, uh, do all those sorts of things, but I never really had the sense of um, being able to do some of the adventurous things, such as fall out of the tree, break the arm, have that adventure. But <laughs> my dad and I had... Um, very large love of comic books. So anything that would serve as an excuse for him to be able to take me out to the comic book store so he could get his own fix and I could get mine was good. And it just sort of expanded and it helped me actually um, just by thinking to go, you know what, I can use some of this problem-solving skill that I'm trying to get through this dungeon with um, and also apply it to different things. So it, it helped me in different areas of school Um it just kind of had like a, a wider, wider array of um, applications to me. Um, I think for me, it was to be able to explore different sides of my personality and different moods. You know, you, you would adopt a character that would suit a portion of you, and and, and or, or get to live in a character that wasn't you at all. You know, and and, and live vicariously through them and their actions and do things that you would never try to do on your own, you know, and, and I've always, I've always really liked that and liked, you know, I've always liked fun campaigns where you're creating a character who's a little bit ludicrous or a little bit off. I've always liked to give my characters, you know, some kind of bizarre flaw that they're dealing with or something from their background that makes them, uh, 
makes them a little unhinged or makes them a little quirky. Um, and being able to play that out and see how others respond to it has always been fun for me. So, Do you think that's something you mature into as a role player? Because I feel like the first maybe year I played, that was very difficult. I think now the second year where I'm comfortable just with the rules of the game and how it works and everything mm-hmm. else, I can I can do the you know non-player character versus this is how my character feels. Um, you know, I know in, in Death Before right now we have my character Zanatari is having this conflict with another character um, in the game and they are all out fighting and just it's getting very nasty. And in real life, I, I like the player very much, but my character and his character are really having you know, all out battle. And it's a very strange thing to have like standing beside yourself and acting out this one scenario at the same time, keeping your feelings completely separate uh, for mm-hmm. yourself, you know? Yeah. I, I think a lot of that also comes from a group that, that is comfortable with that kind of an aspect in the game. Uh-huh. Um, you know, my first games I played, of course, were very much just very cookie cutter. My character, you know, was, was just a good guy trying to do good things all the time and was everybody else in the party was a good guy. And it was almost pretty much like just a very, you know, uh, above the above the action, just I'm just a wizard attacking this way and trying to go this way, or I'm a fighter going this way trying to do this thing. And I think the characters for me came later. It was the, when I played in college, and I would play with folks in college that you know. I think like you all have had, like you said uh, in another uh, one of your shows, where you talk about the rogue that's trying to steal from others in the group or things like that that are going on. Um, huh. That yeah, that that really kind of. That, that it creates this weird dynamic where you know that the person's doing that because that's what their character would do, but it's really making you angry at the same time. <laughs> um, and how do you deal with that? And I, I, I used to play a char- one of my characters that I loved uh, that I played in college was a dwarf called Floored, who when I rolled him up, got one of the, like I was just above an animal in intelligence. His intelligence was so low. And I decided that he, that meant that he would not realize when he was getting into a fight that he could lose. So he charged into everything. <laughs> and, and that became just the running gag of how are we not going to get Thward to get in a fight? You know, when it, when it was over our heads and everybody was cool with it because that's, I was just playing the character the way he was meant to be played. But if you have someone that comes into the group with a malicious intent <laughs> above and beyond what their character is, then it gets kind of awkward. But, um, I, I'm all for some, for some role playing that's, that's unique like that once in a while. It was while. fun as being the DM for this group in that, um, I would be telling them the story, telling them the story, this telling them the story. Then they'd react, and then um, Genesee and a few others would start putting, you know, virtual notes under the table to me. Of my character's getting kind of pissed off. Can I do something about this? And I'd be like, Yeah, you know, if you guys want to take this story and do something with it from your own character's perspective, by all means, do it. And you can sort of see over this last season the tentative steps out of that comfortable area of I'm watching the movie to I'm doing the movie. Mm-hmm. And that's where you start to get into these cases where now uh, Genesee and Thorn, um, actually Xanatari and Thorn, are pretty much neck and neck um, trying to keep each other or from, from this one goal. And it's amazing to watch from the sidelines. Well, I think you hinted at this before, Genesee, that what kept you away initially then? I think a lot of it is you have to have the right uh, environment, too. 
you know, uh, I ended up being a community manager for a role-playing company briefly, and through that I met two women who were the developers for a game we were working on called Genesis, and I got to be really good friends with them, and especially one who ended up living a half hour away from me. And now that she's that close, I find myself uh, in this huge crew of dedicated role-playing people that have, you know, at least once or twice a week games, and I end up, you know, every once in a while going over on a weekend and, and just, like, kind of sucked into the world of, hey, you know, I just played White Wolf and all the rest of that. And I think if you have friends that do it as well, it, it's a lot easier to to kind of uh, get into it easier. Um, but for me, it was the math aspect, I have to be honest. I thought mm-hmm. it was going to be, like, calculus, and some games are. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I think the one I started with, was a lot easier. Uh, you can kind of baby step it into, you know, White Wolf is a good second step, and you know, mm-hmm. maybe eventually <laughs> I'll get into some of the other things they're doing. But yeah, I think uh, that was something that kept me away. The thought that it was going to take me hours just to figure out how to roll and hit and and do an action. It was going to interrupt the actual story to sit down and calculate that. Um, also, it is. It does take a certain level of comfort to be able to, you know, some people f- find it odd to read aloud in a crowd and this is basically you know role-playing or acting out someone in front of other people that you don't really know that well um and it can be a little scary and a little intimidating especially if you are with a a bunch of strangers around a table for me it was uh coming into D&D one not having a lot of people to play with um but then finding finding a group was good but my arch nemesis originally and why I love house rules so much Seiko hated it. Would have kept me from playing. The the learning curve is high, especially if you're going to be the one who's going to be asked to be in charge. Um, you know, and, and having to know stuff on the fly and be good about it. Unfortunately, you know, early on in my days of gaming, I wasn't the one running the show. I was a player and had a series of good DMs who knew the rules, but also knew when it was time to to find an easier version of them when it would help facilitate the play along because nothing is quite as, as jarring as when you're in a crucial point in the story and you have to flip through 50 different pages trying to find, well, what does it take for me to throw that grappling hook again? You know, and what's your armor class? What's your AC class? What's your Thacko? You know, back when that was the whole thing. Um, So, yeah, I I think someone who can really um, know the right amount of, training wheels to have on and right amount to have off mm-hmm. uh, for the people in the room makes a big difference. Makes a very big difference. So Cliff, what kind of character do you usually play? Um, I have played a little bit of everything. Right now, the character that I'm playing in the game that uh, that Ryan is running, he, he is a halfling wizard who has been beaten up most of his life. He's been the butt of many jokes and has decided that he is going to become a wizard. Um, first, he became a wizard, wizard so that he might um, be able to keep those around him from hurting him. So he learned escape-type uh, spells, things like grease and, and daze. And now he's decided he's not going to put up with it any longer, and he's learning offensive skills. Um, and I'm I, I, I'm imagining that eventually this is going to cause um, a shift over in his personality. But after he learns what it is to exact a bit of pain as compared to taking it most of his life, but that's that's long term. Mm. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I I've enjoyed him, and I've also uh, uh, I don't know I, I I like folks that have a a, a 
a justice element to them, you know, that, that have been put down or gone through some stuff before where they get to. But I'm really enjoying Poodap right now. He, he's my guy. I'm, I, I'm enjoying. I'm enjoying him. What about what what about uh, what about the characters that you all are playing? Um, Zanatari is a Kalashtar war priest. I would say she is. She started out as neutral good. I think she's probably chaotic good at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, we just picked our paragon paths. So her paragon path is avenging angel and started out as kind of a naive youngling sort of leaving the Kalishtar, going to search for memories that she could bring back to the tribe in general and, uh, stumbled upon a couple other people in Winterhaven and, uh, ended up forming this party. And at this point she sort of morphed into the uh the healer and the tank and the par- sort of the party leader in a lot of ways <laughs> uh, and torturer and well okay she, her her god is a lightning god and there are accidents that happen i can't help it <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah it's been quite a long journey for her uh, at this point and uh we'll see where it goes but that's where she's standing and i haven't had a chance to really play the paragon path for more than i guess one episode uh, but we'll see. Uh, the Paragon Path that I chose is sort of a mix. Avenging Angel is really cool because she actually does have angel wings and gets all irate on people with her lightning. But there's another path that I'm incorporating aspects of that where she can, uh, speak to an object, like a, a object that has died recently. Like if you find a skull or a bone or something and it will tell you, uh, one question about the area that it, it, information it would have had as a living object. And uh, that works because the Kalashtar sort of have this weird dual soul where um, they have a lot of, it's like two races in one blended and you uh, have a lot of memories like collectively as one giant sort of mind collective. And so uh, it'll be interesting talking to the dead. <laughs> cool. Very cool. Very cool. I'm uh, a huge fan of rogues because of mm. um, D&D and my character that's in AIE um, on Earth and Ring. It's named Wemmick. The character's full name is Wemmick Pandemic. And <laughs> that nice. rogue actually has, at least in the back of my mind, a historical lineage all the way back to the first character I ever played with the red box. Nice. So that's, that's cool. It's, that's it's, cool. A, it's the class that I am drawn to. It's the hide in the shadows. Oh, I can go take that out from underneath the dragon if I roll good enough? Awesome. Um, kind of deal. So I'm, I'm very pro-rogue. Ryan, you get to play all the characters right now because you're a DM. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, well, but in uh, in in my Saturday game, we've got uh, we're currently off D and D right now. But um, and I, I had to check with uh, with our DM because I'm like, man, we haven't picked this game up in a while. I sent him an email from work today. I was like, hey, I need you to remind remind me some stuff because I I don't have my character sheet. And he's like, what are you doing D and D at work? I was like, forget it, just answer my questions. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, right now, um, yeah. Uh, much like Tenzian, I'm I'm very pro rogue as well, and that's that's often uh, a a default character I go to. And I've always had a theory that the characters we build um, are somehow somehow fantasy fulfillment for ourselves, whether we know it or not. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think we always Hold go up. towards <laughs> <laughs> we we either go towards playing the character that we feel like um, is almost a stylized version of ourselves that exemplifies everything we like about ourselves or want to be. Or we use it as an opportunity to do the things and be the character that we know we could never ever be in real life because it's just, it's just not right. It's, there's just, because there's consequences and there's yeah. things like morality. So, um, 
so yeah, so I, I tend to like to go rogue, whether it's in a video game, whether it's something like D&D or whatever. I like, I like being the sneaky guy. Cause usually the sneaky guy has a way to get out too. Um, mm-hmm. so I've got, um, I have a level 17 rogue, um, that I've prestige classed into Shadow Dancer. Cause we, um, we're staying 3.5. Like we didn't make the switch to 4.0, mostly because we have a very extensive 3.5 library and, um, just, just haven't invested in the switch. But, uh, I, I really like him. He's, he's, he's fun. Um, he's sneaky and he had that time early on in our game because we transitioned in from, um, I, I want to say we transitioned in from vampire, which is, you know, very, um, you're playing together as a party, but, uh, you know, often you could be working against each other. And we kind of had to establish at some point in our game that, um, you know, this, this is a party game. And while a lot of our games, whether it's, you know, 40k, or, you know, Inquisitor, um, Vampire, or whatever. Sometimes we're working at odds or behind the scenes from each other and stuff. This is, this is the party game where we established this would be the team game and we're all kind of working together. So I was, I was the guy who was, um, yeah, I wasn't stealing from others. I was kind of, uh, just taking a finder's fee off the top, really. Um, <laughs> cause you wouldn't have gotten into that room or that chest if it wasn't for me to begin with. So, um, but that, that, I don't think that was sitting too well. And I had the argument like, that's, ah, um, yeah, he, he's a thief, man. It's, it's what he do, but it, uh, we, we kind of had to play with that dynamic a little bit. And, um, we, we figured out what it was and, and how it gels and it's, it's all good. And, um, and yeah, he's a lot of fun. I like him. He's a very wealthy, wealthy tiefling rogue. So <laughs> see the air Ooh. quotes. Mm-hmm. That dynamic. Yeah. <laughs> you use the term morality a couple times there. I think actually playing D and D has helped my morality. Um, hmm. Okay. Things, you know, Say playing, more. <laughs> you know, play 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 nice with others. Play as a group. All these things. Yes, mm. I can be um, an a hole or the charming charming swashbuckling rogue or something like that, but. It was always just kind of in the back of my head. Hey, I'm playing this social dynamic thing. I want more of this social dynamic. Mm-hmm. And this is really good. It's helping me make friends. And I don't care if these are the friends that others view as being the strange ones because these other groups are also strange to me, whatever. But I, I think it really just kind of helped um, keep my head somewhat uh, in the, you know, in, on, on earth during my, my teenage years. Yeah. You mentioned that, uh, you know, the, the, the groups and how some are strange to others and just remind me of, um, uh, last year we were at Dragon Con again with Cliff and, and the wives and, um, we were on the, we we're on the MARTA train, the transit train coming back and it's, it's a very interesting weekend in Dragon Con because there's obviously con going on and everyone cosplaying and, and, and their, their gear, but there's also some sort of huge, always some sort of huge sporting event. Usually college football kickoff is going on that weekend too. So the MARTA train was full of football fans and Dragon Con guys. And, um, you have all the football fans in their jerseys and, you know, Dragon Con and their various, you know, wizards or warriors or ghostbusters, if you will. Um, and at one point, uh, we got separated. I was on some other part of the train and I heard a guy, one of the football fans say, say to someone else, he's like, Hey, you know, you're not a wizard, right? And the kid just without missing a beat turns around. And he's like, you know, you're not a quarterback, right? And, um, I was just like, See, cause it's all the same thing, man. We all put on our costumes and we all, you know, we, we like to get wrapped up in it. And, um, you know, we refer to things like our team and it's, you don't actually play for the team though. So, um, yeah, I, I, 
I've learned a lot um, uh, playing D&D and other games because part of what kept me out of it, uh, in addition to some of the other things I mentioned, was just that um, I was very much a closet geek early on. Like, I didn't want people to know, and, you know, so I didn't... I had all these things I wanted to do, but I I, ne- I couldn't really get to them because um, I was kind of afraid of what other people would think. And so moving into that, one of the things I've learned is that it's, I mean, it's fine. We're all geeky about something, and you can be geeky about sports, or you can be geeky about role-playing games, or you can be geeky about homebrew. Uh, there's all kinds of things you can be geeky about, and it's it's cool. We need to just, you know, learn to be all right with that, and, you mm-hmm. know... You maybe even find something you didn't know you liked, and um, so uh, in the case of that kid on the Marta train, I'm pretty sure he just got beat up. But um, <laughs> well, I was going to say I was already getting beaten up on the playground, so I decided to go full bore. I didn't care anymore. <laughs> we had a uh, we went to Dragon Con. Um, I think it was two years ago, and we were on the Marta train, and this uh, little kid got separated from. Um, her parents and she seemed to stick with the uh the geeky side of the train versus the the sports <laughs> side of the train so we we, we kind of seem to knowingly keep an eye on her um, mm. you know beyond the social contract yeah. now some uh, now some of those people do cross over you know because i last year on the same i think on the same train ride that ryan's talking about i hopped on and i was wearing um fourth doctor doctor who costume i had the long scarf and the hat and everything and i dumped jump on <laughs> and this woman um, who's not dressed in con attire, turns around, looks at me, and without missing a beat, says, I bet you thought it'd be bigger on the inside. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was like, yes, afraid not, afraid not. <laughs> uh, but yes, ah, oh, God. Jenny now I'm getting Bellies. excited. <laughs> I'm getting excited. Now I'm getting excited. It's only a few months away. Should I tell my oh. World of Warcraft story? Yes. Uh, oh, go right ahead. It's go slightly right ahead. off topic for D&D, but I consider World of Warcraft an aspect of role-playing. Um, it can always be an outtake. Go, go. <laughs> <laughs> some some people may disagree, but uh, in World of Warcraft, I would agree with the fact that rogues are amazing, and I always play a rogue. I roll a rogue over and over and over in World of Warcraft, and people are always on me like, why don't you play another class? Why would I play another class? I love this class. Mm-hmm. And I have a, a 85 rogue named Tentacle, and I've been playing her for just years, you know, six years, something like that. And uh, when I first started playing her and first started getting into the aspect of avatars and, and imagining myself as something else, uh, I remember just being completely awed by the fact that she was so good at fighting and had these daggers and all these martial arts moves, and she was just amazing. And at the time, uh, my life wasn't all that amazing. And I remember looking at her and thinking, well, you know what? I spend so many hours playing this avatar, and I put so much investment into this avatar. And, you know, looking at myself in the quote-unquote real life, I don't feel like I've put as much effort into myself as I've put into her, into this character. Hmm. And I ended up taking martial arts, and whatever, five years later, I'm a black belt in Mudaquan. Oh, oh my cow. Wow, I suddenly feel scared to be on this show. <laughs> <laughs> I just figure, you know, it's one of those things where you can look at your character, you know, for D&D or any other role-playing game, and it's really fun to play, and you can take aspects, like Tenzin was saying, of that character, and I feel like you learn things through through role-playing that out, or for, you know, char- the way your character goes, maybe you want to incorporate or, or make sure you never incorporate into your own life. Okay, well, cool. Well, going back to the first times you've played up until now, uh, look back in your memory, what is a favorite house rule moment or a favorite 
something that, that the DM took you in a direction you weren't expecting that made that game special? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Go, go, go. Um, senior year of high school, uh, I've got a friend and he's, he's still pretty much my, my adopted brother. His name's Tony. Uh, he ran me through a module that he made up from scratch. Maps, the whole, the whole nine yards. And you went through this dungeon and it wasn't until the end you realize, wait, you're on a giant pool table and this rock that you think is this trap that just keeps, you know, this, this wizard that you're trying to fight has got this thing for rock traps like Indiana Jones. No, Mm -hmm. you're on a pool table. And it just, to this day, I really wish I could get my hands on that module and I keep asking him if he's ever got notes for it because I would love to run some people through this thing just for that sense of, whoa, this came out of somebody's um, mind just on a Mountain Dew binging. We're kind of nuts. Uh, so we're we're playing this this game and, and there's something going on in the jail. We have to go into the jail and uh, go up to the upper floor because there are some minotaurs who have been captured uh, for, for causing disturbance in town. We need to go question them. So we go to the upper floor of this jail. It's completely quiet, dead and weird and uh, you know silent. And, and we make our way up there and it's dark. And after you know searching through the jail and seeing uh, one of the minotaurs, basically like the whole imagine predator or, or um, with one with, with an alien where it comes out of your chest and you've got a big hole in your chest. Oh. <laughs> it's like nasty. And then there's stuff all over the floor. There's this dark shadow in the corner and uh, the shadow forms into basically a minion of Lolf. But the way it formed, it ended up looking like a like a jello pudding pop, and <laughs> it got called the Cosboid. And then <laughs> Tintin was using the voice from Cosby the entire time that he was role playing this, this shadow of Lolf. And uh, I, I need to hear a bit of that right now. <laughs> you, you can look it up. There's also another one in the uh, list. It's called Mirror Mirror, where I take the character's voice that uh, someone else does for their character. And for uh-huh. pretty much the whole episode, it's me having a dialogue with that from the character. future, with that character. Oh, from okay. the future. But it's it's literally a back and forth of nobody knows what's going to happen next, but apparently this character has run into himself. So well, it's he also oh, speaks oh, like an old man. Okay, and that's, that's very better. cool. Because he's talking like an old man, and then he tends hmm. to okay, we'll him. make people look it up. We'll make people look both of those up. Go check the Death uh, D4 Dishonor uh, archives and check out those past shows. Um, one of my favorites was from one of my college games, and uh, we had a DM who, you know, he he was kind of loose with a bit of, a, a bit of things, but if we got out of line, he would smack us back into line, and we were bad about you know getting off topic and not being in the game and. And, and being ticked if he wasn't making the game the way, what we wanted it to be. And we had one guy in a group who was especially bad about critiquing the way the DM was running the game while it was going on, which I think is exceptionally bad for him. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, but one of the house rules this DM had was if you were talking to him as the DM and you want to talk to him as the DM or talk to people in the room like you're in the room and not in the game, you had to make the half a moose symbol. Which was you had to put your thumb on the side of your head, stick your your ass to your hand like your antlers, and that meant I'm talking out of the game. That was one of his house rules. That if you wanted to talk about something like to somebody or whatever, and it wasn't in the game, you put your hand up to your head to signify that. So we were in um we were in uh in woods at night, and there was a fire ahead, and we we're all sneaking up very carefully to see what it what it is, and it's basically a huge platoon of orcs. Way more than us. 
And one of the guys, the guy who was always exceptionally critical, goes, I hate orcs. And the DM, without missing a beat, says, the orcs turn and hear you insult them in your, from your direction. And we're like, oh, God, no. Oh, God, no. <laughs> and he did. He ran us over. He ran us over with him. And not everyone got out alive. It was a bad battle, and most of us ended up running. But just the look on his face when the DM said that was worth it. <laughs> it was absolutely worth it. Did everybody turn on him? Oh yeah, we we pretty much. I if I remember correctly, we left him. We left him for dead before it was over. <laughs> In the fight, it was like you could get away or you could go back for him. Ah, run away! Run away! Run away! <laughs> well, we had a little moment like that uh, this past Friday. I mean, not not quite like that, but uh, Cliff, like I said, we use the uh, the Roll Twenty dot net site, which allows you to. Um, so you can, I mean, it's got a grid on there. You can draw maps. It's, it's a great system. It's a great system. Um, and you can give control to the players and they can, they can move their, uh, their characters or have access to the map. And apparently Cliff can't be trusted with that much freedom. And, um, <laughs> and he started to doodle on, on my map. Um, so, you know, as, as we're coming up to, to a fight situation, there, there was probably an extra goblin. In the fight, and there's probably a few more hit points on things because Cliff wouldn't stop doodling on the map. <laughs> and um, you know, on the upside, he didn't really doodle on the map anymore after that. Cause, yeah, I don't. I did not. I, I behaved after. But that. I uh, behaved after that. yeah, I mean, in in my in the other game, I mean, there's not um, there's not a ton of house rules there specifically set up. I mean, the, the RDM is um, wants everyone to have a good time, and the, and you've got some DMs that are just like PC killers that are you know it's it's all about in fact cliff's told me stories about uh about one particular dm who uh if he had a particularly bad day you knew he was going to take it out on players but yeah. um, party killer yeah oh yes yeah oh yes but, he once killed a guy while he was still rolling up the character mm. what i mean yes it was that <laughs> intense I, and i can't remember what facilitated it but um i think evan was who was rolling it up and he was making a joke or something at the dm he just looked at him went he rolled some dice and said Meteor fell out of the sky. Your character's dead. Make another. <laughs> <laughs> and we're just like, oh no! Oh man! But uh, I mean, fortunately, uh, you know, we don't we don't have a DM that runs like that. I mean, he's he's really no. cool about. Uh, he knows if you're particularly attached to a character, he'll he'll go to some lengths to to um, uh, to keep help keep that character around. You know, in, in the face of almost certain death. But um, you know, but nothing's ever guaranteed. But, uh, I think one of the things I like the most about our D&D game is the, um, it's just kind of the, the background stuff that's going on. The fact that, um, for example, my character has amassed enough wealth that he has bought his own inn, and, uh, it's, it's just a place where the party congregates between adventures and stuff. And there's, uh, there's a whole storyline that if you took it out of the game, it really wouldn't affect anything but, uh, the story element, but at the same time, that's, I mean, to me, that's the point. That's what I'm there for, is the story. Everything else is just math. Everything else is adding numbers and, and solving for X. But, um, uh, you know, the story, the story is what's important to me, and, and, you know, so there's this element of the story that, um, that I really like, and it's just been an ongoing thing, and it's, it's existed through our, uh, various off and on, you know, uh, manifestations of the game where we put it down for a little while and picked it back up and it's, it's always been there and it's, uh, it's cool. It's, it's fun. It gives it some dimension and that's, that's what I really like about it. One of our uh, characters has a pet, a giant spider that he rides on. It's named Fluffy. And, uh, in one of, of course. Our, of course. 
And in one of our episodes, a, a giantess uh, killed Fluffy. And <gasps> he actually cried, I believe. Yes, the player, the player cried on the entire thing, just naturally just busted out. He, he was surprised himself because he's like, am I crying? Oh my gosh, I'm crying. <laughs> and I uh, ended up resurrecting it, him eventually. But, you know, you do get really involved. In uh, mm-hmm. the stuff, the outside story aspects, the the little things that don't matter necessarily. You know, it didn't affect the game that Fluffy was dead, but there was definite investment in mm-hmm. it. But that that makes mm-hmm. things fun for me because you know I know part of the story coming up potentially, but I don't know what the characters are going to do. So I think there's a back and forth where we, you know, both sides feed, and that that is a really good ecosystem. Mm. Everyone thought you were a horrible person. It was good. That you were <laughs> <laughs> like, how could you give Fluffy? Oh, <laughs> uh, do do any of you have any artifacts from like your first times playing? Like maybe do you have that first module still somewhere on the shelf or anything like that? I don't have the original red box, but um, I can tell you to this day that mind flayers are perhaps the scariest thing to try and mm. hide from in a bunk bed in a a, a Boy Scout camp. <laughs> 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 so you have emotional scarring from that first game. Okay, makes sense. Makes sense. Any, any others? I have a mini from my first game that I keep on my desk, but otherwise not. That's cool. That's cool. And you also have a ton of dice now. I've begun obsessing about dice. Dice are amazing. <laughs> I, I recently moved uh, here to Ohio, and that's the one thing that's bugging me is I have not found my big mushroom basket full of dice, and it's driving me crazy. Uh, I miss my dice. I want my dice back. Because oh, I think I have one of those original dice in that basket um, from that first set. I have one of the dice I think is still from that original set, and I, I just can't find It's still in a box here somewhere uh, out here in the garage that I'm surrounded by all this stuff, my my awesome podcast studio. Um, but uh, so I'll find it someday. Someday but you'll be Cliff, mine again, Dice. Cliff, yes. I, I think in terms of actual artifacts, I think somewhere around here I've got the um, the beta version for Paranoia. I helped uh, beta that game. Ooh, that's that. Ooh, that's very cool. So I think that's somewhere cool. around here there's a very old uh, dog-eared copy. Nice, Ryan. You have any cool artifacts still laying around? Um. No, I mean, well, because I keep most, we keep most everything over at Greg's place, but, um, uh, I, I do have a copy of, uh, the, I mean, the first role playing game I actually played was Ritz, and I do have a copy of that book, mm-hmm. uh, sitting around here. That's cool. I still have my, my Baldur's Gate video game, which was my only access to RPG and fantasy stuff for a while. Um, high five but, if you uh, just said Ritz, by the way. Yeah, I did. Yeah. To- totally said yeah. Ritz. Mm-hmm. That's, which yeah. is a great, ge- it's a terrible game to start RPGing with. Um, because there's so much, uh, stuff going on there, but it's a fantastic game. It's a fun game to play. Um, but yeah, uh, I don't know. I mean, just, yeah, dice, but I think that's just the, the standard, like, cause you lose them and then you go get some more and then you lift the couch and you find them. So you yeah. just start accumulating, accumulating yeah. dice. So. Oh, walk barefoot. You'll find them. It's just like Legos. Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. <laughs> Well, Tinsy and Jinsy, I want to thank you guys for coming and hanging out with us tonight as we had our first installment of Firsties, and it was good to have some guests in with us that that love this stuff just as much as we do and have had um, either their early life or later life shaped by by Dungeons & Dragons to talk about uh, it on this. And uh, and I just remind everybody again, where can people find you? 
Dusty4Dishonor.com for Dusty4 and for the Gray Area Podcast, uh, Genesee.com or GrayAreaPodcast.com. One other episode I'd point people towards is our holiday episode, which is a combination of the old um, Burl Ives, uh, Grinch, and um, other things. It's a, it's a Christmas parody, but it's also Doctor Who and a few other things. It's episode 87. The Thorn That Stole mm-hmm. Christmas? Is that the one? Yes, the, the mm-hmm. Thorn That Stole the Solstice. Ah, oh, mm, nice, um, nice. But it's the the, the claymation side of things. Tinsian, do you want to do the Twitter or anything? Um, I am at Tinsian. And you can at Dusty4, uh, or you can at Gray Area Podcast. Or at Genesee. No, because I never check that. Everyone <laughs> at Genesee's me, and I'll, like, six months later, I'll be like, oh, someone messaged me. Oh, no. Oh, they, oh, it'll, it'll be summer. They want me to be on a show. <laughs> yes. I'm horrible about checking that Twitter account. I guess you can edit that part out then. <laughs> we will, we'll, we'll edit it and make it smooth. We'll, we'll fix it. We'll do it live! It's like spot It's like, we'll make it nice and smooth. Well, guys, this has been great hanging out with, uh, hanging out with some fellow nerds and talking this kind of stuff. Good luck in, uh, if furthering on in your quest, uh, may, may it continue to bring you, uh, nice loots, good times, and, uh, and lots of natural 20s. Oh, thank you for having thank us. You. It's been a pleasure. I can cast any of these, right? On the list? Yes. Any, any of the first level ones. I'm gonna get a soda. Anyone want one? Hey, Graham, I'm not in the room, right? What room? I wanna cast magic missile. A room where he's casting all these spells from. He hasn't cast anything yet. I am, though, if you'd listen. I'm casting magic missile. Why are you casting magic missile? There's nothing to attack here. I'm attacking the darkness. (laughs) (laughs) So now to the section about uh, the things I've been doing recently, and you may have noticed there's been fewer gray areas out recently. Uh, this is the height of con season, and some of these things will calm down soon, uh, getting back to regular monthly episodes, hopefully. But for now, uh, basically last week I went to MegaCon, which is a convention in Florida. It's a mix of video games, a lot of anime, uh, all sorts of, you know, geekery, basically. And it was the first time that I decided to cosplay at a convention. So the last month or so, I've been building a character from Borderlands 2, which I've been playing with some of my friends. Uh, I have not completed the game, not having a level 50 character yet. I think I just completed, completed the area where Sanctuary has been phased out of its area and uh, running around doing that. The character that really appealed to me in that game, ironically, is Lilith, because in the first game, I didn't really enjoy, I have to say. Uh, it was a bit of a different game. I didn't get far enough into it to really love Lilith, who you get to play as one of the starting characters. But in the second game, I got to see her as one of the NPCs. She has a pretty integral part of the game, section of the game. You get to learn more about her uh, backstory as the Firehawk. And see her do a lot of really neat things. Um, as a character, she appealed to me a lot. And similar, I would say, body type that I felt like I could pull off in a cosplay. So I spent the last month looking at the character and deciding that I wanted to do an interpretation of her. Which means that I wasn't exactly matching her in many ways. Uh, there were different color variations in my clothing. But things that were close enough where you could see the essence of the character when you first saw her. 
Uh, I also had uh, one of my good friends who's been on the show before. Her name is Monica. She's one of the fates the f- from the Fate of Perfection from uh, Fable Streams. You may remember her in that episode. Also, Deanna was on. Uh, so those two were on the show with me before. New friends, Kayla uh, and Carol. Kayla's also one of the fates, but we didn't have a chance to meet. And Carol gets, decided to get together and do a group cosplay. So we ended up having Lilith, Maya, Mad Moxie, and Ellie. And everyone did an amazing job on their cosplay. Uh, Monica and I ended up working together a couple times on our outfits and um, painting and doing various things, making squirt guns that were... Uh, different guns from the game. Um, I like Theodore, and she's a Malwin fan, so we, we had guns that were matching different ones. Um, just spending a lot of time in the details, and again, never having cosplayed before, this was an interesting experience. Uh, it took a long time, a lot of effort, a lot of research, and it was really neat to go there, uh, get all dressed up, and which also takes forever, and then go to the convention and people's reactions. Uh, people react to you as though you are the actual character. You have to have some lines and some poses that reflect that character. And just interesting to to have people's love of the game and people's love of the character kind of come out all directed towards you. Um, lots of pictures, which is also something I'm not super comfortable nor familiar with. But the group did really well, and I think... Uh, a large effort was made to represent those characters well and uh, and to share our enjoyment of Borderlands together. So it was a experience I recommend if you've never cosplayed before. I know it can be harsh out there, especially 4chan and some people that cosplay regularly to, to judge your outfit. I didn't really sense any of that there. There were a lot of really uh, good good cosplays happening. Um, need to see other people you know, also dressing like their characters. Uh, and we've had really good response. There's a lot on the internet, um, you know, featuring it. We got pictures taken um, by the photographer for Cosplay in America, so it may end up hopefully being in the Cosplay in America book this year. Um, a lot of other professional people, which is interesting too, that professional photographers want to c- come up to you and take pictures of you dressed in a costume um, and use it for <laughs> for their their sites without really getting paid or being asked. Um, but anyway, uh, I had spoken a long time ago to Cryptomancer about cosplay and his feelings on it, and I uh, need to now experience it myself. So that's kind of what I've been doing. Uh, this weekend is PAX, which I also plan to cosplay at for one of the nights. plan to do some interviews for you. Uh, there's some nice news coming out with Borderlands, since I just mentioned that a new Vault Hunter is being released on Sunday. Unfortunately, I won't be there for that section, but I can tell you uh, who that's going to be then. I will see the Ubisoft booth and some of the Fragdolls who've been on the show before. Hopefully have some interviews there involving Assassin's Creed and uh, some other panels that I will bring to you as well. So look for some PAX news coming up next week. But Megacon was a a very nice convention, very large, kind of similar in feel to New York Comic Con, I would say. A vendor floor, uh, all one flat convention, not a whole lot of stairs you had to take or anything like that. Um, 
And there were panels there as well, belly dancing panels and some, a lot of Star Trek panels and things. You could even purchase an exclusive uh, pass, which was quite expensive, to see, you know, all of the Star Trek events, which were held after hours. Uh, Patrick Stewart was there, Will Wheaton was there, um, all the Star Trek characters I love who, whom I don't know their actual names, um, Beverly Crusher, let's see, I don't think Commander Data was there, uh, Lieutenant Yar was there, um, let's see, I believe Worf was there, a whole lot of people were there, none of which I got to even glimpse because they had them completely under secure lockdown in curtains that were completely, uh, opaque. Um, but you can, if you want to know more about that, you can always follow Will Wheaton, who, you know, is always posting a ton of things about everything he does. <laughs> but I do recommend it. If you have not been to Megacon, uh, it is far away in Florida, depending on where you're located. For me, it's quite far. Um, but a really nice three-day con. And again, coming up, PAX. I've never been to PAX East as well. Boston, uh, I've been to once. So it'll be an interesting town to see and an interesting con to go to as well. Uh, fortunately, I was able to go to Megacon as press. Uh, didn't do a whole lot of press-related activities there, except just wanting to tell you about the idea of cosplay and the experience of it. Um, so that was Megacon, and things will wind down here in the next few months. I plan to have Keisha Howard on. You may have watched her show, uh, Robot Wars, um, where she is driving a robot. It's come out now. We spoke briefly about it, but couldn't say a whole lot because it hadn't been released on television yet. But some stuff to look forward to in the future. So this is the general state of the gray area and what's going on. So if you're missing it, that's okay, because it will be back, and we'll have some more interviews with people. So thanks for listening. Uh, you can find out more about this by following at Gray Area on Twitter, where I do post pictures and all sorts of stuff. And if you want to see pictures of me dressed as Lilith and my group, I will be posting uh, them, or at least one of them, on Genesee.com, where you can go and uh, take a look at that. Also, if you want to contribute to the show and... <laughs> Uh, encourage me to get off my butt and make more of them, you can go to genesee.com to the right-hand side where there are amounts that you can contribute or choose your own. Always helpful, always uh, appreciated, always inspiring, because it's nice to hear back from you, which I don't get a whole lot of feedback uh, from the listeners. And just tell me what you might be interested in hearing. Uh, some of the news that we didn't cover in the beginning section, because it was not timely at that point, is that EA uh, has some interesting resigning uh, news going on, uh, where the CEO of EA has now resigned, uh, basically taking the fall for the entire SimCity debacle, and having it returned to the previous CEO uh, who was on the board, and now he's going to have to double duty it. And um, we'll see if he ends up doing the job permanently or not. So the uh, she, the CEO, John Riccatello, uh, has resigned his position, and he was apparently the CEO for six years, which is quite a long time. Um, uh, Larry Probst is is the person who's taking over for him. He was the he's the executive chairman, and he was the uh, you know the previous I believe the previous CEO till two thousand seven. So. Uh, some news for EA, uh, not having a wonderful time lately. Also, uh, some news about American McGee and Alice. You may recall last, a couple weeks ago, we spoke to American McGee and I was encouraging him to make another Alice because it is beloved. And he was saying that he didn't know if EA would be willing or open to discussing that since he's had some 
some conflicts with EA in the past. Apparently he's taken that somewhat to heart and is considering making an Alice 3 and he wants your support for this. He wants to know if you're interested. He wants to know if you uh, would be willing to Kickstarter it with him. And he's planning to present it, I believe at PAX, to C to um, EA and see if EA would be willing to to support that. So hopefully if you did enjoy Alice 2 or Akanero, uh from Spicy Horse, you can show them your support of the concept of Alice 3, which would be awesome to have. So uh, if you like that, let them know. You can tweet about that or you can look uh, for that and there'll be, there'll be a way you can show him that. So at this point, if you would like to support the show uh, non-monetarily, you can go to uh, where it's on iTunes. You can give it a rating, tell me what you think, and make some stars happen for that. So if you'd like to leave some feedback or keep up with the news, you could find me on Twitter again at Gray Area Podcast, at Facebook slash Gray Area Podcast, or on iTunes. If you have any gray areas in your relationships or just need a new perspective, you can email your questions, advice, or suggestions for what you might like to hear in the future to genesegray at yahoo.com. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week or soon to come with a new episode. This podcast is a part of the Signals Media All-Star Network. For more information on this and other fine shows, go to SignalsMedia.com. It's okay to stick our stuff in your ears. Really?